All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Studio B. I am your host, uh, Pastor Holman. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode. Um, we have a very exciting guest, as we always do on Studio B. Um, this is going to be a great conversation, kind of piggybacking on what we did last week um, in regards to the disciplines of success. But I have in the studio with me today, Dr. Jean Morenci. How you doing, Doc? I'm doing very well, Pastor Holman. Thank you very much. Thank you for asking. It's good to see you, man. It's always a pleasure. A friend to the ministry, a, a lover of missions um, that has been on several mission trips when we've done medical missions. He's a doctor of dentistry. Dentistry. And uh, just a great, great guy. And, man, this is – if you ever want to laugh – uh, put Dr. Morency somewhere around you. This is just an enjoyable young man, and I appreciate you accepting the invitation for Studio B. Thank you for inviting me, Pastor. Of all the celebrities that you could have brought here, <laughs> I'm still wondering why me. <laughs> so, Doc, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I was born in Haiti oh, many, 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 many moons ago. Um, left Haiti when I was about 17 and did my time. In the United States, live in New York for a while, live in Chicago, went to college in Chicago, uh, went to dental school in Boston, and mm. then I joined the military. Oh, wow. Joined the military, spent six years in the Navy. I'm a, I'm a, a, a lieutenant commander at, in the Naval Air Station. Oh, wow. I didn't and, know that. And then after that, I started a private practice in Houston in 1983. So I've been in Houston practicing dentistry since. So tell me, what's one of the things that one that caused you to leave Haiti? Um, at the time that I left Haiti, the political situation was terrible in addition to poverty and, and lack of opportunities for anybody, you know, unless you were part of the government or part of the elite business people. Um, so my father said, I'm going to send you out to this state and you're going to go ahead and make some, something of yourself. Wow. And, and I still remember, it's for January 1968 when I landed at a Kennedy Airport with all my fortune, $35. Wow. That was it. So you left Haiti and came to America with $35 in your pocket. $35 in my pocket, yes. Now, Haiti is one of these places where, you know, I've been there, I think the last count when I was trying to figure out how many times I've been there. I've been there 24 times. Wow. Uh, on mission trips, medical mission trips, evangelism, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. business development, ministry development. And Haiti is, of course, famous for a lot of reasons, not so many good yeah. Um, the political system that you just mentioned right now is one of the things that is always in flux. In flux yeah. So whether they are, they could be good for a season and then out of the blue, you know, protests erupts, and politicians over here, politicians mm -hmm. over there. So Haiti is one of these very volatile nations. Extremely, extremely politically, yes. And so when, when you're looking at the landscape of Haiti back in your day, did it almost mirror what it looks like right now? Oh, it's gotten worse. Mm. Uh, because even after I left Haiti, I've been doing even without uh, you guys, I've been doing mission work in Haiti, medical and dental mission. So I used to go to Haiti about three times a week just for missionary work. Uh, and I can see the degradation, let's say, from... 10, 15 years ago to what it is right now. Mm. Right now, it is really hopeless. Wow. Hopeless. Now, Doc, I, I want to, because I want to set up a, a scenario here to what we'll be discussing about in regards to the disciplines of success. Um, you being from Haiti, me have visiting um, all over Haiti, um, there is, and I want to kind of tag that word, you said hopeless. Mm. Um, when you arrive in Haiti, um, Something just kind of hits you as soon as you walk out of that airport. Um, it, it is a, a very real sense of um, being taken back, if you will. Mm -hmm. And considering that Haiti is literally only two hours outside of Miami, yes. uh, to be so close to the United States, to be so close within our proximity, and to experience that type of poverty um, it's something that just kind of takes you back. Now, when we go to Africa, you know, we got to travel 24 hours right. across the Atlantic to get to Africa. Um, but it is literally a two-hour flight to get from Miami America to, to, Haiti. to Haiti. And, it's it, and you know, historians will kind of trace the history of Haiti and how it got to be in that position. But one of the things that I've always been curious about is how is Haiti remaining in that condition? Well, there are a lot of uh, reasons Haiti remain in that situation. Number one, the international community have really never, ever liked Haiti mm -hmm. because Haiti was the first nation in the world 
who revolted against the slave masters and earned their independence in, that, in 18, 1804. Mm -hmm. uh, from that stage on, the American society and American government have never looked, well, let me go back. And after the revolution, some of the, the, the our, our brothers here that were enslaved in the yeah. United States started doing the rebellion, thinking that, okay, Haiti was able to do it, therefore we should be able to do it here in the States. So the the society here have never, never forgiven Haiti for what for that. Mm. Uh, even though after um, the independence of Haiti, some Haitians have come to the state um, by doing, doing slavery time and, and, and participating in some of the revolution or some of the revolt here, but we were never, never accepted as part of the world community. And that's very interesting because <coughs> at one point in time, Haiti was exporting rice and sugarcane and was um, a very prosperous uh, nation. And even to the degree in 2014, France just released Haiti from the debt that they were making Haiti pay back to them exactly. in the tune of $8 billion yes. You know, for lost trade or lost um, uh, revenue because of slave practices. So Haiti has always been this nation, ironically enough, that has been taken advantage of. Yes. Um, yes. And it seems as though when you're walking through Haiti and you're trying to empower and you're trying to raise up um, the economic conditions that are surrounding these areas that we go in, the poverty, the, the amount of poverty is almost Just, depressing. You don't know where to start. Mm -hmm. uh, part of my missionary work in Haiti, in addition to medical and dental, uh, there was a particular group that I go with for, for financial empowerment. And uh, we have proposed many, many, many projects to develop Haiti, uh, like power, power, power generation project. Because in Haiti, for example, right now, there are some cities that don't have electricity. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking about major cities mm -hmm. that don't have electricity for about five, seven days at a time. Um, no light, everybody just live in the dark. Uh, we have proposed um, project for for uh, electricity generation between the infighting of the political um, the political people in power in Haiti that fell through. We have proposed like a sanitation program where we'd go to mm. and collect trash. Mm. I mean, you have go to Haiti, yeah. you have trash all over the yeah. place. Yeah. yeah, sanitation that never worked because the custom is who you pay under the table that make things happen. Mm. And you can't really build a business on how you, who you pay under the table because you will never be successful. And, and Doc, to, to that degree, and, I'm, and, and again, I'm trying to build up to a place here, we um, have done a lot of mission work in Haiti. We mm -hmm. haven't gone back to Haiti since 2018 mm -hmm. because of the civil unrest, the political instability, you know, the riots and all of these other things. And one of the things that really kind of left a bad taste in my mouth is that here at the Church of Bethel's family, we put together a 40-foot container full of humanitarian supplies. Mm -hmm. It was generators. It was pots. It was um, about 2,000 pair of shoes. It was uh, it, The container was worth about $200,000 mm -hmm. um, with the idea of the destination being the Haiti to help in the area of Grand Guave, which right. is right outside of Port-au-Prince. Mm -hmm. um, as we sent the container there, it took almost two months to get there. But once the container actually got to port, the politics started. Everybody started that. Um, it was, uh, hey, this under the table. Hey, we can't do that. Hey, we can't do this. And this container that could have helped the people. Never got out of port. It port, never port, got out of port. Out of port. Yeah. It never got out of port. And this is not an isolated incident. This is constantly every... Um, Every organization that have tried to help Haiti in the same manner uh, run into the same problem. You've sent it there, the people never got to it. Somewhere along the line, somebody got to hold that container mm -hmm. and took almost everything mm -hmm. and probably sell it on the open market for what it's worth. But the people that it was intended to really never get to it. And so as you growing up in Haiti, seeing all of this stuff around you, you had parents and you said your father that said, um, I'm not going to have this life for you. I'm getting ready to send you to America right. because America will offer you the better opportunity to succeed. And so what kind of brought that on with you and your parents? I mean, um, had your father been to America? What's the background to that? I had a couple of uncles. One lived in New York. The other lived in Chicago. They lived there for a long time. Uh, my father used to come and, and never wanted to live in the States. And, and I still remember his word was, when you come from a foreign land, you come to the United States, it's just like a rat trap because mm. you get in, you can't get out. 
I could never understand, you know, the reason he was saying that. But then you get here, you start having responsibility, you buy a car, you have bills, and you can't leave. <laughs> it's just a rat trap. So he never wanted to stay and live here, but he said, but I will send you there because you're a young man. I'm an old man. I don't want to go and live this life, but you should be able to do whatever you need to do. And so to send you to America for the purposes of greater success and greater opportunity. Going to school primarily, primarily going to school, and then, but yes, my greater, greater prosperity. And so, so Docs, your story is not unique in the sense that there are many people in many different nations around the world because of what's going on in their own particular countries will see greater opportunity in the land of America. Of course. And that would education, that is with economic prosperity, family development, all these different things. People fleeing from religious persecution mm -hmm. to come here, many different reasons. And so you, you, your, your, your story is not unique in that sense. But what I want to get to is what caused you to continue to go? I mean, what, what was the motivating factor to succeed? Well, a number of factors. Number one, I didn't want to go back. Hmm. You know, I, when I left Haiti, um, the, the situation, the political situation, the economic situation, the financial situation was so bad, I have vowed never to go back under the circumstances, unless it's under my own um, dictation mm -hmm. more than anything else. That's number one. Number two, um, my mother died when I was six, so my father, I kind of barely knew him, so it was my grandmother who raised him. So I had to take care of her, mm. and I couldn't do that in Haiti. So, But here, even though I was able to go to school, I was able to work, and I was still able to take care of my grandmother and my two little brothers. So when you're looking at yourself and kind of looking at your story, um, one of the things that we have been talking about here on Studio B is... Um, there is great potential and great success that lies on the inside of the individual. Yes. Um, and one of those things in which you capture success is the will inside of that person to overcome whatever said obstacles or barriers may put in your way to get to your end destination or to at least to close the gap, if you mm -hmm. will. And so coming out of Haiti with tremendous odds against you, uh, coming over to the states to which you are not familiar with, offered some challenges. Yes. And so how did you overcome those challenges? Well, what most people were calling challenges, I was looking at as betterment. Mm. Uh, That's interesting. You know, you hate here, you spend two, three days, sometimes don't even know where you can get food to eat. Here, no matter what, I was able to eat something every day. Wow. That's a betterment. Mm. And best, if you were born here and raised here, and maybe you go for one day without, food, that's a challenge to you. Me, <laughs> thank you. I got some, I got food two days in a row. Do you understand what I'm saying? So wow. I never look at it as a challenge. I look at it as an opportunity somewhere that was better than where I came from. Wow, that's, that is tremendous perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, something that I've not considered. So let me ask you, so why, when you look at your life, um, that ultimate goal. Now, when did you decide to be a dentist? I mean, how did that how did that all come into play? Total accident. I actually went to school to be a mechanical engineer. Wow. And uh, and then after while I was there, I did some research in biology with a friend of mine who wanted to go to medical school. So just before he wanted, before he was going to take the MedCat test, which is the admission test that every medical student have to take before they get admitted to medical school. He told me, he said, hey, Morency, why don't you come and help me study? We can study together because I know you, you know, you stay late with me and study. So I started studying with him. And I ended up taking the medical, the medical uh, uh, test also. And I passed it. And I said, hey, let me take the dental. No, during that time also, I went to my dentist. We're in Chicago at that time. Went to my dentist. My dentist said, why don't you go to dental school? I mean, medicine is good, but you know, the hours, you cannot really choose your own hours. Mm -hmm. You really have cannot get your own business. I mean, you could, but it's a little bit more difficult. So go to dental school instead. So I went ahead and took the, the dental aptitude test and I passed it. So, <clears throat> excuse me. I applied to seven dental school and six medical school. And I was admitted to six dental school and four medical school. Wow. So I put together all the financial aid I could possibly get. And when you combine financial aid, work-study program, and scholarship, Harvard, believe it or not, was the school 
of which I had to have less money coming out of my pocket. Wow. Har- Harvard Dental School. So I ended up going to Harvard Dental School. Oh, my God. I'm learning all this good stuff today. Yeah. So you were in the Navy. You went to Harvard. Um well, I'm learning a lot of good stuff here. So let me ask you. So this will lead into our next segment: um, the importance of education okay. as a, as it plays in your life. There is no comparison. You have to have an education, and the education doesn't have to be in medicine. It doesn't have to be in you know engineering, anything like that. I mean, the society that we live in, we need welders. Somebody got to build those buildings. Mm-hmm. We need mechanics. Somebody got to fix the cars. We need preachers. Somebody got to go ahead and, t- and tell the word. We need dentists. I happen to go into dental school, but the point is, decide that you're going to do something constructive, mm. something the society needs, and whatever that thing is, go at it and be the best of it. Now, Dr. Marinsky, can I, I, I'm... Uh, I'm a preacher, so I just got to say amen. <laughs> I, I just got to say amen because I think <clears throat> the problem that we have here now is we have to redefine what success looks like. Yes. Okay, not everybody can be a doctor, a lawyer, a CEO. Yes. Not everybody can be those things. That's right. And I often, was often told by my grandmother, whatever you do, just do it well. Just do it well. Be just, just, just be the best at it. Be um, she, she was real big on doing a hard day's work, mm-hmm. whatever that hard day's work is. And I think what we have to be able to do is to convince people, for lack of a better word, that whatever that hard day's work is, it's contributing to society yes. in a positive way. Yes, it does. Right? So it, just because I'm not a doctor or I don't have a four-year degree or a master's or a Ph.D. or whatever, that does not mean that what I'm doing right now is not worth Exactly. Exactly. And so just kind of expand on that, if you will, because I think a lot of people really need to hear that, Doc. I mean, you're a doctor. You've been to Harvard, and you've accomplished all these things. But to the average Joe out there, um, let's encourage him about where he is in his own life. Well, <clears throat> you have to go to what people conceive as success. Success to me, the concept of success is very elusive because the people that we look at that we think are successful, they're in their mind, they don't think they're successful. Yeah. They need something else they want to reach. Yeah. That's a yeah. very elusive concept. The word success itself is very relative. You know, I, I have grown to evolve from different definitions of success. My current definition of success right now is the ability to live life with integrity, with peace, and honor. Mm. That's my definition of success right now. Let me give you some example. I have friends that are multimillionaires. Multimillionaires have a lot of money. So by society standard, they're successful. Mm-hmm. But I could sit down here and talk to them. They're miserable. Yeah. Uh, mm. It could be medical mm. issues. Mm. It could be social issues. Mm. It could be um, a lot of things that they're just not happy with. So money by itself does not make you successful. It does help. It allows you not to be stressed out over the thing that I call the little thing. I read a book a long time ago that says... In order to live a long life, there are two rules you need to follow. Rule number one, don't sweat the small stuff. Rule number two, they are all small stuff. <laughs> you know, so, so success for me, it only, I look at you as a very successful person. Yeah, you're an awesome preacher. I don't know how somebody can snap his finger and then you can sit down here and pray for two hours without making an eye and out. I cannot sit towards in two days. So to me, you are successful in your field. Now, whether you think you are is irrelevant. Since what your definition of success is. But if I give you a drill or a, f- or a pair of pliers and say, go and take this too far, mm. you'll freeze. Yeah. I can do it without thinking about it. So in my field, I'm a very successful person. So success is not being a doctor, being an engineer, being something else. You could be successful being an auto mechanic. You could be successful being a welder. You could be successful being Whatever you want to do, you know, the computer whiz. Uh, so you have to define what your level of success is and what success is for you. Number one. Number two, success is not a destination. Mm-hmm. It's a goal that you may never reach. But just be content 
as you go along toward that elusive goal. Now, to the degree of where we are as Americans, and not just Americans, but I guess the world at large, we have defined our success and the pursuit of that success based on images that we see. Yes. On what the TV tells us, what social media tells us. And so if we don't have that amount of money in our bank account, then we don't consider ourselves this, if I haven't attained that. And so there's a lot of different things by which we mark success. And I think what we get into the problem at Doc, and I'm so glad to have you on the show today, is that I tell people no matter where you are, start there. Start there. No yes. matter where that may be, mm-hmm. no matter where you are financially, no matter where you are educationally, no matter where you are in your family, start right there. Stop looking at the top of the mountain. Just take the first step. Exactly. And I think a lot of people get discouraged because the journey seems so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. But when I look at a person like you and, and many other friends, and I think one of the things that has been so beneficial for me, Dr. Marinci, is my world travels. Mm-hmm. I have a point of view that is not based in Western culture because I've seen people from so many different cultures and in so many different walks of life. And I've seen people that live in plastic houses. But, Doc, the joy that they have. I was about to say that. Yes, they come. You see them by all of our standards. They should mm-hmm. be miserable. Yes, yes. And they come out smiling <laughs> and laughing <laughs> and bring you stuff. They give you stuff. Yeah, yeah. So yes. it's crazy. It's crazy. It's, and so it makes you redefine this whole thing. So you know, you've been with us on many of mission trips. We sit in churches and we preach in churches that's got open air. We're sitting on concrete pews. Mm-hmm. We're sitting on broken milk cartons. Sure. But the fellowship, the, the 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 praise, the worship, the preaching is so high. Yes. And then we come back here to America where we are insulated with all of these. Uh, you know, these niceties that we have. And we still find reason not to be content. Yeah, the other thing is, you know, like when we are actually out there doing missionary work, at least for me, let me speak for me, I am totally stressless. Mm. <laughs> and then you come back home, you land it, you get off the plane, and you can actually feel the, you pressure, can feel it coming the pressure building up for no other reason just being here. <laughs> So when we get back on the mission field, so before we leave whatever destination, I told them, I say, when you get back, you land on the tarmac. Just listen. You're going to hear ping, 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 ping. Emails, text messages are now hitting the phone. Yes. And that's America welcoming you back. And that's building your stress level. That's building your stress level. And if you don't know how to manage it, it will take you down. It will take you down. It will take you down. So, Doc, let me ask you. So, you have a, um, in order to get to success on whatever level of success that may be, Mm -hmm. and however you define it, there has to be some type of core set principles that one is guided by in order to attain whatever level of success that may be. What's some of your core values? Discipline, number one. Without discipline, you will never have success. Discipline is the ability to, well, number one, have a set of goals that you want to accomplish. Written, that you can read every morning when you get up. You go to my bedroom, I have a board. I have all this thing I want to accomplish every year. It's written up December 24th of the year before, mm-hmm. and I keep following, and, and, I, and I make a point to at least accomplish one of those goals every month. And I, I don't erase it, I just scratch it up. Mm. It's done, it's accomplished. Discipline is the ability and the power that you should have to do the things you know you have to do, whether you like it or not. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. Discipline, you just have to do it. Integrity. Be your word. When you say you're going to do something, do it and do it well. Mm. So when you have those two things, I think, people start noticing you. People give you more responsibility. People trust you. As a result, a lot of a lot of doors, opportunity, doors of opportunity opens up for you, and you have to be ready. You have to be prepared to step into it and flourish again. Doctor Marinci, um, discipline and integrity yes. um, are not very sexy words in our culture. They are not. Um, they're not going to get a lot of amens. Uh, when you start talking about discipline and integrity, because integrity is that part of the person that nobody else sees. Yes. Right. That's the person that guides the person. And so, but I think that those are absolute uh, concrete pillars when you're talking about accomplishing whatever said goals, 
because there's going to come times in your life that you're going to want to give up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's going to be times in your life that you're not going to want to put in the extra work. Many times. Yes. Many times, Many right? Times. To all of us. To all of us. Yes. And so I think a lot of things what happen with people is that when we hit that brick wall, um, that brick wall we figure out won't move. And so many of us just kind of give up. Yes. Okay, well, maybe it's not meant to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm always reminded of J.C. Penney, who filed bankruptcy seven times. Mm-hmm. Seven times his brother filed bankruptcy. And each time, as he writes in his memoirs, he viewed it not as a failure. He learned something. He learned something. Yes. And so each time he bettered himself. Yes. Now, a lot of people would have said that the first one, second one, third one, okay. Mm-hmm. Right? So when you talk about discipline, that discipline has to be able to push you through whatever said barriers may be in your way. Mm-hmm. And can you speak on that life is going to bring some barriers? Life is going to bring you barriers every single day. It's what you do with those barriers in spite of, and what you do in spite of those barriers. Like you mentioned before, sometimes you try to go to a wall and the wall stand there, it's not going to move. You know the wall is not going to move. <laughs> now you have two choices. You can break it down or you can go around it. Well, you know, sometimes it's, 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 you have to step back and look at where you are, what your situation is. What I, I remember one of the reasons um, I was listening to a speaker, they said, one of the reasons Al Gore did not win the presidential election against Bush is not because he didn't have any resources. He did not. It was not a resourceful man. Mm. You can have resources and not be resourceful. That's a good word. And if you are not resourceful, the resources will be there in front of you. You won't even notice it. Sometimes you have to step back and say, okay, I can go to that wall. Maybe there's another way to go around it. Study, look at within yourself and look at your goal and go at it again. Perseverance, that's the another. Uh, you can't give up. I keep thinking, the minute I give up and I can look in there and see somebody get it, what I was getting, they were about a mile away. And you just keep going until you get there. Sometimes you don't get there. Don't get mm. me wrong. There are some things you want to do with the company. You don't get there. But the process of getting there makes you a better person and prepare you for the next challenge that's going to come to Even you. Even if you don't get there. Even if you don't get to where you're going to be. But it prepares you for the next challenge that's going to come tomorrow. And it will come. It will come. It's a guarantee. So... Just be prepared for it. Don't be shocked by it. So, and in in that, Doc, so we can just kind of say, and I tell my kids all the time, that life is just a matter of perspective. Yes. Right? So there's no failures. There's really just learning experiences. Mm -hmm. And so when you take life in its full circle and just kind of learn from it as you go, you're able to better yourself as you go. And a lot of people fail is that they don't take those past experiences and use them to their benefit because it hurts so much. Mm-hmm. So also, perseverance is one of the mm-hmm. uh, core set of principles that we must have. And so as you're looking at the landscape of America right now, um, I am unapologetically a Christian, mm-hmm. uh, unapologetically a believer in God. Mm-hmm. I trust Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I believe that he hung, bled, and died mm-hmm. for the sins of the world. I believe wholeheartedly in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and that whosoever shall believe within him shall not perish. And so I have a biblical worldview mm-hmm. that shapes my worldview. I don't have a cultural worldview or a ethnic worldview that shapes my mm-hmm. biblical worldview. It's got to be the opposite for me. Mm-hmm. And so as I'm looking at the landscape of America right now and even the world, there's this sharp division that's being drawn uh, in our land. And so what I am trying to proactively do with the space that God has given me is to encourage people that wherever you are in life, whatever you choose to do, first starts with a decision and then a process to get that done. Mm -hmm. And when I see people like yourself who have come from Haiti in very, very dire circumstances and have come over here to America to have um, been successful and could have done things in America that you could not have done in Haiti. Um, I am of the mindset, Doc, that is America a perfect place? No, by no no stretch of the imagination. Um, But again, my world travels have presented me with certain perspectives that I think if other people had could give them a much better perspective of where we are in America. And so from your perspective, does America offer an opportunity for a black man to succeed here? Of course. Of course. Um, One of the things I've noticed in myself, because I grew up in Haiti, not that there wasn't any racism in Haiti, 
but it's not as prevalent as it is here because there are some white Haitians, mm -hmm. but it's a very small minority. You barely come in contact with them. I'm saying this to preface the fact that when I came to the state here, I just didn't know any better. I have not been inoculated with racism yet. There are places that I was that I wasn't supposed to be there, but I didn't know any better. Mm. Do you understand what I'm saying? Schools that I had been to, uh, programs that I go and applied for, knowing very well that, no, actually, actually, I didn't know it was just a program. I just want to go and do it. Now, before I went to dental school, I really was a medical technician. Went to school to do medical technology. But I was the only black in that school in Chicago. Mm -hmm. I mean, there should have been three, four, five out of 20 students, but nobody wanted to apply because that school happened to be in a white section yeah, of town. Yeah, yeah. Nobody, I didn't know any better. I just wanted to go to school. Um, here, the young boy, I have, I have four kids. You know, I find my, I have a 15-year-old boy. I find myself having to sit down to him and say, look, boy, this is the way it is. Mm. Number one, you have to be better than anybody else, especially your white counterpart. Number two, you have to be careful where you go. I am inoculating him with the reality of racism here, which I didn't have when I was growing up. I came here, I was age 17, like I said, I didn't know any better. I mean, you know, school is school. I don't care who's there. As long as they want to admit me and I'm going to do the very best that I can. Yes, there's a lot of opportunity for a black person, whether they were born and raised here or whether they come from somewhere else. But again, once you get here, there are some rules that need to be followed. You can't break them. Number one, you have to have some discipline. You have to respect authority figure because mm. they will take you down and easily without apologies. Mm. You know, those things you need to do, you need to have them. Um, the United States offers so many opportunities as far as education, the art, the businesses, that we would never, ever, ever be able to get in Haiti or in Africa. I'm very familiar with Kenya. I've been going to Kenya really for the last 22 years. Mm -hmm. Yes, there's room for someone to be very successful here. So, so Doc, let's, let's, um, let's explore that a little deeper because... Um, I say that we stand on the shoulders of giants. Yes. Um, I believe that, um, you know, my grandmother passed away, God bless her soul, uh, two years ago, 2018, and my grandmother passed away at the uh, tender age of 86 years old. And I can remember the times that my grandmother told me uh, she was alive during Emmett Till. Mm -hmm. uh, she was alive during Jim Crow. Mm -hmm. She was alive during White Water Fountain, Black Water Fountain. Mm -hmm. She was alive when the black people had to get their food on the backside of the restaurant. Mm -hmm. uh, she was alive during all those times. And my grandmother used to have starch conversations with me that I've gone through everything that I've gone through in order to give you a better opportunity. Yes. And so I, I am of the I am of the mindset, Doctor, while I still believe that there are issues and policies that we have to address. Yes. Uh, we gotta fix the economic gap that exists between the have and the have nots. We gotta the educational gap, the judicial uh, system. We gotta look at those particular areas and pay close attention to them. Um, but the idea that in 2020 we are as racist as we were in my grandmother's day, um, I wholeheartedly fight against that because I know too many successful people that have overcome A to Z. A to Z. Mm -hmm. A to Z. So name whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. uh, I come from a single parent household. Uh, my mother had me when she was 16 years old. Uh, my mom had every single right to check out of society, mm -hmm. um, but she graduated fourth in a class at the University of Houston. Mm -hmm. um, and she would never let me use an excuse as a reason to not succeed. Yes. And so, Doc, I preface all that by saying that as we as black Americans or African-Americans, wherever moniker you want to put on us, mm -hmm. I believe that the answer to black America is in black America. It is inside us. It is inside us. Yes. And that we have the greatest potential to go out and do whatever we want to do. The greatest potential in the whole wide world. I really believe you have the opportunity and the potential to become whatever you want to become here. If you, will, if you are willing to put the hard work in mm. And if you are will, willing to delay some gratification. Now speak on that. 
Delayed gratification. You've got to delay it, yes. So talk about that. I'll talk. Well, I'll, I'll give some good example. My friends these days will be, I don't know a word to any songs. I never paid the attention to the song that was being played on the radio. I know the music, I know the melody, but I never pay attention to the word because I was too busy working and studying. <laughs> um, I went to college working full time. I went to dental school working full time. Therefore, the idea of going to the club and drink and dance, I'm, I don't have anything against it. I just never done it. Mm. I didn't know any better. Uh, I didn't know I was delaying the gratification I could have been getting at age 21, 22, 23 when I was in the book studying. So it was kind of forced onto me to not be involved in those fun-loving things at the expense of the hard-learning things. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? So, and you could actually consciously decide to delay gratification for something that you want to accomplish later on in your life. A lot of us in this society want all the things right away. Yeah. And it doesn't happen that way. Uh, if you really pursue it that way, either you're going to end up in jail or you're going to go or you're going to be dead. Mm -hmm. Somewhere along the line, you have to make the decision that I am going to do this. I'm going to get this. I know it's going to be hard to do. I know I need to put the work. I know I need to put the study. I know to do the homework before I decide to go on vacation with no money. Before I decide to put a vacation package on your credit card mm. that you have no money coming in, then you spend the next six years paying for a three days vacation that mm. you may have got. So whereas if you could have delayed that for about a year or so and decide to save the money, you could still go, yeah. but you wouldn't have to be paying for the next 10 to 15 years. Man, doc, doc, uh, man uh, amen again. Um, because I think as we look at, uh, the, you know, the platform of this podcast, Doc, is um, to merge the biblical worldview, which mm -hmm. is our overall, that's our 30,000 foot view, Correct. with everyday life. Yes. Uh, so we're talking to people that are going through everyday challenges of life. You know, we got single moms. We got people that the ends are not meeting. Every walk of life for people mm -hmm. watching this show. And so what we try to do is try to merge what does God say about whatever's going on at this particular time. And when you talk about delayed gratification um, in this society, um, that's not only not pushed, it's, it's, it's also, it's almost um, just vehemently opposed mm -hmm. because everything we see is about the gratification of now, of now the yes. pleasing of the flesh, mm -hmm. you know, fast food commercials, buy this, buy that to gratify the flesh right now. Brand names. Right now. Right. Yeah. And so it, it gets us into this quagmire to where we're always scratching upwards. Mm -hmm. And we're never able to see over the, the horizon because we're always scratching to the top. And so when you talk about delayed gratification, there has to be a delayed gratification for the end goal. Yes. Yes. If you know the goal and you have a set of rules and regulations that you need to follow, and those things happen every day, every day, every week, every month, every year. I have 10 year goals that I wrote back 10 years ago. They're still there. I'm still working toward them and I break them down into, you know, different steps that needs to be done. But there are some time you just have to go ahead and let your hair down and have a good time. Mm -hmm. That's your goal. But it's planned. It's planned, yeah. It's planned. You don't just don't get up and yeah. the moment. You know, time you were talking so about. let me ask you, um, with delayed gratification, you talk about integrity, you talk about discipline. Yes. These are key strategies that any demographic any demographic no any ethnicity yes put these core principles in place yes and you will see the success from it and it doesn't take too long and it doesn't take too long it doesn't take too long no so with that when we're talking about where we are right now with success redefining success some of the things that it took for you to get to where you are right now uh, i'm absolutely intrigued by the fact uh, of the haiti to america experience mm -hmm. And, and the disciplines that it took in order for you to, to get to where you are right now. Uh, but I want to speak on this issue and, 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 and guide our conversation in this right. direction. 
um, as an as a as a black man in America, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of things on the landscape right now: social unrest, uh, COVID nineteen. Um, this is the perfect storm. We have a presidential election coming up in less than ninety days. We got a lot of stuff on the on, on the table right now, and right now I believe is a prime opportunity, a prime opportunity to lift up, mm-hmm. to to lift up. And I believe that the lifting up is a responsibility of first of all the church called out believers, and also the lifting up is the primary responsibility of those who have been lifted up. Who have been lifted up? Yes. Who have been lifted up. Yes. So it is our job, our job, the ones who have a testimony of God's goodness, his grace, his mercy, of lifting us up out of whatever issue that we may have been in, mm-hmm. providing us a better life so that we can provide a better life for those who we love, to tell those who may be in similar circumstances that you can make it. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Marinci, I think that's the message that's being lost. Uh, I believe that we are promoting a victimization mentality and not a lifting up mentality. Well, it's, there's a certain amount of hopelessness instead of like we're talking about resourcefulness. Um, I told most of my friends, well, let me go back. Humanity is being tested at very different levels right now. Let's take us, the American society. We have COVID that is destroying our communities. We have friends and co-workers are being affected and dying. That's that's the medical part. We're just being affected medically. Socially, we have racism. We have unrest. Um, financially, this country yeah. has shut down. Yeah. People can't pay the bills and yeah. this and that. Uh, politically, there's no willingness to do anything because I remember our president had the interview this morning and they told him, well, aren't you concerned about the thousand people dying every day? And his answer was, that's it. I mean, that's it. That's what's going to be. You just kind of live with it. Mm. I tell my friend, when, not if, we there is another side to this. We're going to go through this, and we're going to come out to the other side. How you come out on the other side is what you do during this time yeah. of year. Yeah. Uh, you can better yourself. You know, I told my 15-year-old, I took my 15-year-old, Instead of him sitting at home doing nothing, I put him into a computer class online. Yeah, you know maybe he can learn something. Maybe yeah. by the time we come across this, he will be not necessarily a computer programmer, but he knows a few things about computer. That's the time to better yourself instead mm. of sitting at home complaining what you have, what you don't have. I'm not wow. saying not to complain, but better yourself. I am going to come out of this season here better than I when I when wow, I here. Yeah. And I know that. I know for yeah, real. Yeah. And like I say, often it's a matter of perception. What reason would I have to feel that I feel that because I'm not sitting down really doing nothing, waiting for the time to pass for the virus to be conquered. Um, I'm learning things. I'm doing things that I've never done before. Um, I'm taking my time to go and exercise. You know, I walk, run almost every day. Um, I read more than I ever read before in different kind of books, you know, not not the trash, but mm-hmm. you know, the self help yeah, you know, yeah. things like so yes, what concerned me more than anything else in this period of time we're going through is that we do not have a leader or leadership in any of these phases here. Mm-hmm. Um, let's take the Black Lives Matters for example. <laughs> That's just a good example. Okay. <laughs> Most revolution. I'm not going to call the Black Lives Matter a revolution. It's a movement. Okay. But most revolutions start with a movement. Mm-hmm. Most successful revolution throughout the world usually have an identifiable leader. Yeah. The civil right. Who was the leader of the civil right? Yeah. You don't have. Yeah, you mean got to think about it. You don't yeah. have to think about it. Haiti. You know, to say Louverture. You know, th- those are, you can, we don't have that right now. Mm-hmm. We just have a group, a, a numerous group of people that are marching without a, a common goal, yes, but not a common trail. You know, so that worries me. On the political level, we have someone there who is really doing his best to undo. Everything that the marches and the movement is doing, and the problem is that it's got 62 million people who believes in him and think he can do no wrong. 
from a medical point of view, you have a 150,000 people didn't have to die in the last four months. Mm. They really didn't have to die, except that we didn't do the things that we need to do. South Korea, 52 million people population, had coronavirus. You know how many people died there? Mm. 300. Wow. Here, 365 million, we have lost 155,000. So there is no will to attack the problem on a medical point of view and treat it medically. We have politics being infused in it. We have our financial concern being infused in it. And the way to actually take care of the pandemic is being ignored altogether. So, now, Doc, I'm going to look in this camera because I said it, and I'm going to say it unabashedly. If this was 2019 or 2021, the response to COVID-19 would be completely different. It would be totally different. It yes, would sir. be totally different. Yes. Uh-huh. It is because we're in a politically charged uh, season right now, and COVID-19 is being used as a political sword yes. on both sides. On both sides, yes. On both sides. And so you speak to something that um, is very passionate to me. It, it's uh, I'm a I'm a lover of history. Mm-hmm. Uh, if Ecclesiastes three is true, that there is nothing new under the sun, that what has happened has already happened. If you want to see what's going to happen in the future, just look at what happened in the past. Mm-hmm. And so when we're looking at movements and we're looking at fighting for rights, our template is the civil rights movement. Yes, of course. That's the template. But the civil rights movement and the movement of 2020 are polar opposites. Yes. Uh, when you're looking at the strategies of a Dr. Martin Luther King, a Mega Evers, uh, they were not only strategists, but they did not move without an intended purpose. They had strategies. They had absolute strategies. This is why we're marching. This is why we're protesting. These are the steps that we want to see happen. The voting rights is just a perfect example of that. And so now what you have going on right now in 2020 is a whole lot of noise, but not a whole lot of change. No leadership. No leadership. Nobody you can actually point to and say, this is going to take me to where we need to go. Now, it's hard because you you bring up Tucson and you bring up Haiti and the revolution of Haiti Mm -hmm. and how this man revolutionized an entire country Mm -hmm. and people got behind him because he had proven leadership skills. And people could say, I see where we're going, so I want to be on board with that. Mm The problem that we have right now is we have a lot of aimless wanderers. Yes. And so we have a lot of people that are protesting, throwing this and throwing that. But at the end of the day, how are we moving the economic needle? How is black America, brown America, minority America, how is the education getting better? Mm -hmm. How is the housing getting better? Mm -hmm. We're doing all of this stuff. We're doing all this stuff, Dr. Morenci. But how is the needle moving? Mm -hmm. And so when you talk about the social unrest and the leadership part, I absolutely agree with that. To your point. Uh, Dr. Marinci, as being a medical professional um, from Haiti that has come over and done extremely well, and I can put extremely well yes. there. You've done extremely well. You have your own practice. Mm-hmm. Um, you've established a, a, a better foundation for your kids who right. are following you. Mm-hmm. Um, you have done things in your life to make this world a better place. I hope so. And hopefully what we can say to the people that are watching is, wherever that space is for you, just make it better. Yes, you don't have to be a Dr. Morenci. You do not have to be a Dr. You don't have to be a Pastor Holman. Nope. Mm-hmm. Just wherever that space is, make it make better. Make it better, yes. And so I just want to I, I want to give this to you and just kind of let you run with it. Um, wherever that space is in your life, we are obligated to leave that better than before. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Morenci, you can look back in your life and see what your father said, this is what you're going to do because I want you to have a better life than mm-hmm. me. It is a job of each generation to make the world a better place for the generation that's following. Mm-hmm. It is mm-hmm. our duty yes. to do that. Mm-hmm. And if we stand in on the shoulders of those who died, those who marched, those who were put in prison, so that people could have an equal playing field, we owe a debt to those people. Yes. And so as you're looking at your life, how would you pay it forward? Talking to young people about the possibilities of this life in this world, in this country, um, going overseas, and I know you can't solve all the world problem, but if you could take one or two people in any particular place, you just make their day, their week, their month a little bit better than when you found them. You know, that's basically one at the, one one person at a time. Uh, being a model to my children, number one, their the the community that I live in. You know, when I say the community that I live in, you know, I do. I used to be a 
an assistant uh, an assistant director for a board for a board for a charter school. Um, we used to the boys and girls preparatory school. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar. I used mm -hmm. to be I used to be vice president actually. Um, so we've done I've done a lot of work with them. We've been taking them to uh, day camp, trip, and things like that. Maybe teach them a little bit of history. Why do things seem to be the way they are? What happened? And how can we connect, correct them? Uh, give them a sense that you are not lost in this world. Um, you, If you want to put the time, the work, and the discipline into it, you can be almost whatever you want to be. Um, the, the importance of education, the importance of coming to school, the importance of respect to your elders or your school uh, teachers, your parents, your pastors, your ministers, the importance of this thing here because they are not there to be your enemy. They're there to guide you, even though you may not see it right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. You may think they're bothering you. They don't want making your life difficult. They don't allow you to do the things that you want to do, but they can see um, danger and trouble past their house, especially if you have the wrong, if you're hanging out the wrong group of people. Um, so my, my life goal has always been to make the world a better place with um, for everyone that comes in contact with me mm. and i remember i remember about or oh, maybe about 15 years ago i took a management course and the teacher walked into the school and he he said you guys went to a funeral and you look around you don't see yourself because you are the one who's dead what would you like people to say about you in your, in your eulogy and he walked out. Mm. And we were supposed to go ahead and design our lives so that when we do go, whomever is singing our eulogy, you, they can just name the things you've done in your life, what you've been in your life. And once you get to that, he said, now you need to conduct, condense it into 10 sentences. And that's your life's goal. And I did that about 15 years ago. I can actually sit down here and give you all 10 mm. sentences right off the bat because and the main one is to bring a little bit of happiness into the life of everyone that I, that I come in contact with. Now, Dr. Marinci, I, I can't tell you how much um, this conversation is blessing, um, blessing my soul. Um, I, I just think that we have to, in this, in this season, we have an obligation to God to be the salt in the light of the earth. Yes. Um, I've just been on record, Doc, that Christians don't respond like the world um, because we have a master and we have um, a chief executive officer. We have uh, somebody that governs our life that is not in the state house. Right. Uh, it's not on 16 Pennsylvania, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, we get our marching orders from the Lord himself mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, through his inspired word, through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, God gives us ways by which we can accomplish his will in the midst of chaos. chaos. Yes. In the midst of chaos, that those of us who understand that are able to help push people forward. Yes. And I just think that right now we're living in such a toxic society that the uplifting of people is just kind of like on the back burner. It's easy to jump on the wagon that bad, 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 everything is bad than opposed to looking at the lights. It's easy to look at the darkness, but look at that glimmer of light. No matter how faint that light may be, it's focus there. on that light. And as you get closer to that light, that light begins to get brighter and brighter and yeah. brighter. And so when I bring people like yourself on the Studio B, um, I am doing that for the purposes of people can see light. Yes, thank you. They're able to see light. And, and no matter where you may be in your life, good, bad, or indifferent, how far at the bottom you may be, how dissatisfied you may be. There's light. There is light. Yes. Because if Dr. Marinci can leave out of Haiti of all places mm -hmm. and come to America and go to Harvard and become a dentist and be have uh, his own practice and have a family and doing as well, if he can do it, facing the circumstances and problems that he had to go through, everybody else can. Do everybody it. else can yes, do that. I agree with you, hundred percent. And so, Doc, if we can, if we can just impose. Just this last thought, when you talked about your core principles, because I think that's just absolutely valuable. 
What is the role of God played in your life? Everything. And in fact, you cannot be, you cannot have integrity if you don't think there is a supreme being looking over you. My motto is in every transaction, part of my integrity training, in every transaction, there's always a third and silent partner. Mm. And that's the one you need to satisfy more than anything mm. else. So, yes, God has been has blessed me. And I tell people, people say, why do you do this? Why do you do that? It's not going to bring you anything. said, this person is not going to bring me anything. Mm. But somebody else is going to bring me blessing that I don't even know who that person is coming from. That is just the way the universe works. And God put me here to do what I am doing, and I'm going to do it without expecting anything in, 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 in return from the person that I'm doing it to, for because I know somebody else I have never met in this universe mm. is going to come back and bring me some blessing to compensate for what I'm doing, and, and I, has, I have not failed yet. And I can see that every day in my life. Now you, now, you know, Doc, that's one of the, the strange, not maybe strange, but one of the most powerful things about the missionary experience. Yes. Uh, in order for the missionary experience to really resonate, you have people that pay good money. Yes. Good money to go to a foreign land, take off time from their work, in your case, your practice, and go and give to people that can't necessarily pay them back Never. in any way, shape, or form. Any way. So you're, you're literally donating everything. And people are asking, well, why? You know, was, because why? Because and that's all. That's all I tell you. <laughs> Just because. Because <laughs> if not you, who? Mm. Uh, so, Dr. Jean Marinci, uh, Doctor of Dentistry here in these United States. Your practice is in Houston. In Houston, um, twenty six seventeen West Holcomb, right at the entrance of the medical center. Wow! And you've been practicing dentistry for how long now? I graduated from dental school in 1977. I've been practicing. I joined the military, did military dentistry for six years. Um, I have been in Houston practicing since 1983. Wow. Yes. Um, I have richly, richly enjoyed um, this conversation. Um, this thing fuels me. Um, just a little just a little tidbit, Doc. Um you know, I've, I've, I've been raised in a culture um, around my mom and my grandmother, uh, respectively. But my grandmother was probably, not probably, uh, one of the hardest working women that I've ever mm -hmm. seen. Now, she didn't attain a high level of education. Mm -hmm. um, so she was a cook and a waitress and did a whole lot of different odd jobs. But uh, she was just an extremely hard worker. She was um, a faithful woman who believed in the promises of God and really believed that living the life that she was doing and working as hard as she was going to work was going to provide better opportunity for her kids and her grandkids and great-grandkids and so on and so forth. And so when I look at my life, I kind of I, I do this a lot. I measure my life by her life. Mm -hmm. And I ask myself a question, am I honoring what she worked so hard for? Am I living a life that if she were alive today, and she's told me many times before, which brings me great joy, uh, that she's proud of me. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that I think should drive us is not the living for the self. No. Um, one of the things that people can't understand about mission work, um, I've been fortunate enough to do 92 mission trips, 30-plus countries around the world, is the benefit of going to people who are in dire circumstances by our viewpoint. By our viewpoint, yes. By our viewpoint. And you know they will <laughs> never be able to repay you. They for will never be able to ever, repay. Ever, ever, but you do it wholeheartedly. And when they give you that hug, Doc. Oh, it just... <laughs> but not only that, I tell people those five days are usually the best five days of <laughs> yeah, my life. Yeah. And you know when I go there, I work like a dog. Yeah, you work like a <laughs> I work like a dog. But those are the best five days of yeah. my life, yeah. And you see the joy the genuine joy yes. of paying it forward looks like. Mm -hmm. And so I want to leave you with this question. Uh, I believe that uh, the world can be made a better place if we all individually do that individual assignment, mm -hmm. whatever that individual assignment is, that if I allow Marcus to do Marcus, Dr. Marinci to do Marinci, Steve to do Steve, Dominique to do Dominique, whatever those particular lanes may be, and do it well, we can all then collectively mm -hmm. make the world a better place. Yes. But if I am overly concerned with what you're doing, I have less time to focus on what I'm supposed to be doing. Exactly. And thus the whole process begins to get short-circuited. Right. These, there's these big, huge gaps that exist in humanity. 
And so if you had some parting words to somebody out there, whatever particular walk of life they may be, what would it be? Pay attention to yourself. Pay attention to your surrounding. Keep the people around you happy. Feed them with thoughts and ideas that will uplift them more than anything else. And above all, don't be selfish. Even though you do have to stay in your own lane, but don't be selfish. Mm -hmm. While you're in your lane, if you can bring somebody behind you, bring them in. And yeah. don't be totally, don't think about what you're going to get out of it. Um, what you're going to get out is irrelevant. Joy is probably more than important. Also, the future of that younger generation, if you can bring somebody up with you, just do that. That's basically what I would think. So, Dr. John Morency, um, doctor of dentistry, born in Haiti, um, came to America. God blessed him. Um, your story is absolutely inspiring. Thank you. Um, thank you for um, the wisdom, the nuggets of wisdom that you dropped here today. And I hope that the, somebody that's watching is able to glean from this um, and put a little bit of gas in their own tank and yes. say, hey, that guy did it. Despite all of these oh, things no. that he had to come up against, he still uh, pressed on and made it. And so I want to thank you again for joining us on Studio B. If you're watching, make sure that you like, subscribe, go to our YouTube play, uh, page, uh, click subscribe, and then hit that bell to the right so that you don't miss one single episode of Studio B. We love you guys. We'll see you next week. <laughs>